Okay. <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. <laughs> okay. okay. Yes, yes, yeah. I wasn't sure what it does. You don't know now with tech toys, right? <laughs> what that might do. Um, no, this is a joy. And uh, we so thank God for Acadia Divinity College and uh, Dr. Gardner and the faculty here and staff and all of you students from varied backgrounds um, here uh, heeding a call of God on your life. And it comes with sacrifice, and it'll continue to be an awful bloody sacrifice in Christ. It just will. So, But you're in a great place with great mentors and teachers who love you. And again, I, I'm so grateful. We need, uh, never before, people who are willing to make that sacrifice and heed the call of Christ on their life. And I think of all the churches represented here, placements that you have, our church, New Minus Baptist Church, and we really do need to work together. Um, to lift up Christ as we've been singing, that, that people then would see Him and be drawn to Him. That's our goal. What I want to share with you today is something that uh, has uh, made a, quite a mark on me as a pastor. And uh, when I first was called back here to the valley in New Minus Baptist Church, um, I was called in March, and it was an extremely uh, heavy winter. You could hardly see houses to even look at houses when we were contemplating purchasing a house. And uh, entering into Good Friday, I had shared on this passage, and we too use stones. And, um, but it, I think it's helpful for us as we prepare for ministry, so I want to share this with you today. And I also had that bucket of stones left over, and they're in my study, so I thought I might as well pass them on to you um, today as well, so you can help share the load of, of uh, these stones. But I hope by the end they will be a reminder in a meaningful way. I think the thing is, for me, several years ago, as a pastor, who you want so much to see your people uh, live the Christian life to the glory of God. And that can be really frustrating when it just doesn't seem to happen as quickly or as fast as we might like. And uh, an old writer, I can't even remember that uh, writer's name, um, a pastor, who said that we need to be careful that we're not conscience beaters. And it resonated with me. And I thought, what? A conscience beater. It said, someone who uses the holy law of God to guilt and chain people into Christian living. And there are ministries like that. Um, and, but the opposite is true, too, as well. We don't want to be grace abusers that neglect the holy law of God and give people the idea that it doesn't matter how you live. You can live any way you want, just as long as you believe. And so those are two dangers. We need to remember that the law and grace kiss. They kiss. Together they have the power to change and transform lives. As we see and as is was embodied in the life, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, the, in Psalm 85 verse 10, I think it's encapsulated in a beautiful verse that says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. They kiss each other. And that's the divine holy place. And we especially see that in this remarkable story in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Now, I want to just jump right in. I hope, try to be as concise as I can, and I hope not leaving anything important out. But we notice from this text here that it says that this woman was caught in adultery. It says it twice. Um, It's stated twice in keeping with Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was severe in penalties. It was at the same time a law that was just and fair in its strong requirement for evidence. And that's why I believe it's here even stated twice that she was caught or taken in adultery. It's repeated twice. 
Because of this, the law required evidence. The law of Moses had plenty of terrible penalties. Horrendous executions that were stated, like stoning. They seem very harsh to us today. And yet it's actually a more merciful law than we might realize. Because of this law of evidences. It was very strict on this. In order to bring a charge of adultery, it wasn't enough for a witness to say, I saw them come out of the bedroom. That wasn't enough. The law required two witnesses, and they would have had to seen the sexual sin committed, or their testimonies were not regarded as true. Not only did it require two, that they would have had to seen the sexual act, but also their two testimonies had to completely agree with each other. As a result, the law of evidence being so strict, execution for adultery was quite rare. It was quite rare. Yet these Pharisees, they drag out this woman and they try to use it as a trap for Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And what exactly is the trap? Well, they come and they say, the law of Moses says that she should be stoned. And it does. In Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, it does say this. And they ask Jesus, well, what are you going to do? They think they have him in this trap. If he says, well, let her go. They'd say, really? This is your Messiah? He's from God and he disregards the holy law? And on the other hand, if he says, you know, uh, basically, I'm sorry. So they think they, they have him here. Because it does say that she should be punished. If he says, let her go, then to them, he disregards the law. On the other hand, if he says, yes, you have to follow the law, they would have him as well. Because they would say, is here the one who says, come to me all you who are weary and execute them? Like, you can't have it both ways. And they hated the fact that Jesus spoke of love and grace. It was their plan, therefore, to discredit him. They wanted everyone to see that Jesus couldn't be both gracious and just. To them, Jesus was either going to have to disregard the woman or disregard the law. He was going to have to be lenient and loving or severe and just. He couldn't have it both ways. And they thought that they had Jesus. So when Jesus says to them, let the person who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her, some mistakenly think that it means forget about the law. Punishing people, come on, it's, we're all sinners. Let's not be so harsh and unkind. It's all about love. And yet that's not what Jesus was saying. When he says, let the person who is without sin throw the first stone, he's actually quoting the law in Deuteronomy 7 and 13, which states that, if you're going to claim to be a witness to the sin of adultery, a witness also has to be an executioner. That was the law. That is the law. Furthermore, the executioner could not be guilty of the same crime as the accused. So with all this in mind, although the text does not say, some have only speculated that Jesus may have been, when it says he knelt down and that he was scribbling something in the dirt, that he was scribbling information in the dirt about the accuser's own adulterous affairs. For everyone to see. We can only speculate. 
But Jesus is not done. Again, the law of evidence says that the witnesses had to have actually seen the act of adultery. Otherwise, they're false witnesses. So Jesus is implying rather strongly, if they've witnessed this act of adultery, doesn't it take two? Here's the woman, where's the man? Adultery takes two to commit. Now, therefore, they're guilty of the sin of partiality. According to the law, a judge who is partial, who plays favorites, is guilty of breaking the law, and then is to be executed. These witnesses, then, are either guilty of the sin of partiality, or these accusers are guilty of the sin of being false witnesses. And without the man there, along with the woman, there's no way that they're without sin themselves. Jesus, therefore, is saying to these religious leaders who are trying to trap him, I honor the law that you cite about adultery. But what about the law against partiality? What about the law against conspiracy? What about the law against false witness? I do not deny the law. Yet by the law, by your own sinfulness and guilt, Jesus says, I deny you the right to be her witnesses or executioners. Therefore, he says, let the person who is without sin throw the first stone at her. They're busted. It's a mistrial. Jesus honored and respected the law at the same time. It's brilliant. This is our Lord. And then Jesus now turns to the woman who must have been standing there in fear and humiliation, just trembling. And he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. Yes, he acknowledged that she is guilty of an adulterous affair. She is guilty. Yet he says to her, I don't condemn you. Now, I don't know about you, but that can just wash over us. I don't know if you get the seemingly, the discrepancy here. Notice, either Jesus could say, you're guilty, and therefore I condemn you, or you're not guilty, therefore I don't condemn you. But he has just basically said, you're guilty, but I don't condemn you. How could this be? How could he condemn her and just at the same time let her go? Well, with this picture in mind, if you will, picture this with me. Jesus is confronting these people who are crying out, let's stone this adulterous woman. It's a pretty heated, emotional time. And the woman is there standing in front of Jesus, and what does he do? Maybe, as he rises from scribbling on the ground, he picks up a stone, and looking intently at the accusers, he says, whoever is without sin... Go ahead. Throw the stone at her. Go ahead, do it. And after a moment or so, no one throws a stone. Then Jesus throws the stone down hard at his own feet and bends down again and scribbles in the dirt. And one by one, they drop their stones and they all leave. Why? Well, of course, Jesus is the only one who literally is without sin. He's the only one. He then is the only one who ever has the right to throw a stone. But he didn't throw it at the guilty, trembling woman. He didn't throw it at the arrogant accusers. Yet, the debt of sin doesn't just vanish away. I think we do a discredit when we talk like that. As ministers, Jesus loves you. He'll forgive you. 
And we don't bring the law and grace into it. And they think, that seems kind of hokey to me. It just vanishes away. We have to bring in both. It doesn't just vanish away. Forgiveness isn't just, well, forget about it. Somebody still has to pay a debt. And Jesus knew that although the law rightly condemned them, He didn't condemn them. Why? Because He would be condemned for them. He would be condemned for them. You and I won't even have to receive even a pebble of God's just anger against sin because Jesus Christ willingly was crushed under an avalanche of condemnation for the sins of the whole world for you and me on that cross in our place. Not a pebble we'll face. Therefore, He condemns no one because He was condemned for us. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. But people need to hear both sides. In fact, they need to hear the bad news often before they'll believe the good news. Jesus, again, this is so important because, well, how does this apply practically? Well, notice Jesus did not say to the woman, go and sin no more, try now to be a better person, and then I'll save you and won't condemn you. He didn't say that. Remember? Remember, this is an important picture too. God with the Israelites, He didn't first give them the Ten Commandments and then lead them out of Egypt. Rather, by the blood of the Lamb, He saved them first. Then He led them out of Egypt and gave them the Decalogue. That's the right gospel order. However, those who are enslaved to sin... They often think to themselves, don't they? I have people come into my office. I'm so glad that they came to church. They, they've had an adulterous affair. They've suffered. They're, they're addicted to many things. They're broken. And now they come and they remember something in Sunday school. And they say, I really want to live a better life. And I'm trying to do this, this, and this. And what they're saying is, I, I, I want to do better because I want God to accept me. And I could go along and say, yes, you do need to do better and give them all kinds of rules and regulations. But notice, those who are enslaved to sin often think this way. If I can just do better, then God will accept and love me. But it's not like that. You'll never get over your sinful habit that way because your only motive then is fear and legalism. It's not trying to clean yourself up in order to get grace and acceptance. And we forget it. We have gospel amnesia. You see, Jesus on the cross was condemned for you and me in our place. And we hear His voice say to us, Neither do I condemn you. Go then. Go then in my strength and in my love and sin no more. We can't get it backwards. We do a disservice to those we serve. When you truly go to Jesus, all the things that are accusing you, and we need to go daily, and all the things that are making you feel ashamed and condemned and bad about yourself, when you go to Jesus truly, those voices go away. It'll just be you and Jesus. And He'll look at you and He'll say, is there anything accusing you now? Is there anything else making you feel bad about yourself? And you'll say to Him, no, Lord. And Jesus will say, do you know why? Because there's no condemnation to those who come to Me. This is the power of the Gospel that changes stony hearts into hearts that's filled with love for God. And rely on His grace. So that's what these stones, I think, help us to remember. And we try to beat ourselves up. But Jesus took the stones for us. He was condemned for us. And it's out of that liberty and grace 
that we endeavor to love and please Him and we love His law. He fulfilled it for us. So I just, I guess to lead in a time of prayer, if you want, you can grab that stone on your... And uh, the thing with stones, it's kind of like uh, years ago, someone, you may have heard this too, I know uh, Dr. Gardner likes the contemplative life. And uh, you may even, people say, you know, if you put it beside your bed even, and you get up in the morning, you step on your bare foot, and you step on it, um, it's kind of like your kid's Lego. It's like, ah! You, know? um, you step on it, it's a, it's a, it can be a good reminder. And again, we're not going to be legalistic about this. It's up to you. You can chuck the rock, but if you want, you put it there or as a reminder on your desk or wherever. Of, of the importance of the law and grace together kiss and that Jesus did it all for us and that's what we want to share with people so I just lead in a time I guess of, of prayer Father God this morning as we're uh, bringing all this to a close we thank you for your powerful word to us the gospel of John and this remarkable story and the life of your son Jesus we're so grateful God that he died the death our sins deserve and he lived the life we should have lived for us he's the double cure and Lord out of that fountain uh, may we ever be refreshed each morning to enjoy your mercies to draw close to you when we hear voices continually condemning ourselves and others who will be haters and accusers and condemn us may we every morning oh God remember your mercies are new and come before you and behold Jesus and His great love, sacrificial love for us. Father, I pray that as we seek peace for our weary souls and our anxious hearts, help us if we're still clutching to hard, cold stones of sins of anger and hypocrisy, envy, bitterness, and discontentment. Father, some of us need to throw away the stone of resentment. Maybe we're resentful at others. We feel that they've seriously sinned against us. We're angry and bitter because our resentment, Lord God, is now controlling us. And the reason is that we feel that we know what these people deserve and they haven't gotten it yet. And the truth is we feel superior to them. Or we wouldn't feel like this. The remedy, O oh God, is that we humbly drop this stone of resentment at the foot of your cross. And remember, God, that you so loved us that you gave your son Jesus who died in our place so we could be forgiven. And if we are forgiven and we have received such grace, how can we withhold grace, fellowship, and forgiveness to others? Father, some of us are carrying a heavy burden, a stone of discontentment towards you. We feel that you haven't come through for us. You haven't made our lives as great as we thought you would. And we've been keeping all the rules. We've been doing good We've been obeying. Deep down, I guess, and honestly, we feel you owe us. You haven't seemed to be very fair, oh God. Help us to see that as long as we feel you owe us anything, we're never going to be happy. God, the cure is that we drop this stone of arrogance and unthankfulness at the foot of the cross and realize that it was our sin that nailed Christ there. And he who knew no sin died the death our sins deserve in our place. He was condemned for us so that we could be free. May these stones, O oh God, help us to remember these things. May we every day wake up and realize if we're not in hell, only because of your grace and mercy. And Father, there are many little rocks, nagging stones of anxiety and worry, just like annoying pebbles in our shoes. 
we're anxious here today and we're fearful of many things. I think the reason is our prideful heart. So God, we believe that we know what's best. You're not following our plan. We're upset. We're anxious. Again, God, help us to see that we need to drop the stones of worry and fear. Again, at the cross of Christ and humbly realize that we don't know what's best. Only you. You're a good, good father. You know what's best for us. May we rest in your love and your goodness for us. Stop trying to control everything. Help us to trust you all the more. Holy Spirit, what is the stone in our hand representing? Help us to ponder these things. Help us to remember and be refreshed by who Jesus is and what He alone can do for us. When we bask in Your love, shame and condemnation gone, we are wholly beloved in You. Thank You, Jesus, for melting our hearts of stone. Give us new hearts, renewed hearts of flesh that beat as one with You, O God. Help us to know You, obey You with joy, and enjoy You always. We ask it in the strong name of Christ Jesus. Amen.